and we ended up iterating on the model, landed on what became Thrive Market. And, you know, both of us had actually been successful entrepreneurs in the past. We both started and sold businesses and we thought this is great. Like we have some some of our own cash. We'll put that into the business first um, and then we'll go out and fundraise. Well, you know, the first two things that happened in, in the first call it six months of the business were we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building a website with consulting group and found out basically two weeks before we were supposed to go live that it was all vaporware. So, you know, we've been like, not, I want to say we were defrauded, but certainly sold a bill of goods that um, that didn't come through. And it was one of the most humbling and like simultaneously terrifying experiences of like, holy shit, we just spent the better part of a year getting ready to launch this platform and what we thought we had doesn't exist. It was humbling in the sense that like we're supposed to be these seasoned entrepreneurs. How did we make such an amateurish mistake? So, you know, it's one thing to be like hit, you know, blindsided by something that's out of your control. It's another where like the only person you can look to to blame is yourself. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And today's guest is a guy uh, you might recognize. And if you don't recognize him, I guarantee you're going to recognize the box of the company that he is the CEO and co-founder of. I'm sitting here with Nick Green, CEO and co-founder of Thrive Market. Nick, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We were talking before we recorded. I'm super excited to connect with you. I love what you've built with Thrive Market, but I'm always interested with passion projects, it seems like this kind of was for you, like you had a mission behind it that, that kind of hit home to you based on like where you came from and the access to healthy foods that your family had and that sort of thing. So talk about like what drove you to start Thrive Market? Yeah, I'll, I'll dive right into that. But first, just want to say it's it's a real privilege to be on here today. Like you talk about passion and passion projects, the idea of an adversity advantage, which is so counterintuitive. And I think for a lot of people, it seemed like an oxymoron is something I believe in very deeply. Um, experienced it so many times in my own life and especially on my entrepreneurial journey. So uh, just so excited to be part of uh, delivering that message and, and hopefully one case in point that there really is an advantage to adversity. So the, the, the story on Thrive Market really starts with my own childhood. And you know, just to back up for a second, Thrive's on a mission to make healthy and sustainable living easy, accessible and affordable to everybody. Um, so the way that we do that is by shipping the best sort of natural, organic, sustainable products that you would find at a typical health food retailer all over the country to families uh, at prices that are at or below conventional equivalents. So we discount the prices to what you'd find in a health food store, and we do it using an annual membership model. Um, and then every paid membership on the site actually sponsors a free membership for a low-income family. So the whole platform, the vision, the mission, everything about Thrive is about access and making it more accessible for people to live healthier and also to like 
but with their dollars, right? So to, to promote a healthier planet and healthier communities and to really show up and be the kind of consumers that they that they want to be. And again, that that the story for that came very personally from my own experience, you know, thir- call, call it 30 years back, uh, growing up uh, middle class in the Midwest with a mom who really worked very hard to make healthy options a possibility for us against a lot of headwinds. And you know, the story actually goes back a little further to her own childhood and, and to my family, my extended family, where, you know, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, and a lot of the um, conditions that are now you know, basically endemic in our U.S. population for sure and really across the you know, Western developed world, like our family had been dealing with those for decades. Uh, my mom was one of five kids uh, in, a, in a large Mexican-American family. There wasn't a lot of focus on good diet. I don't think there was even a lot of awareness on what good diet meant. And certainly there wasn't a lot of budget to be, you know, spending money on, on health food. And, you know, she has uh, siblings that have struggled with diabetes. And like I said, obesity, you know, my uncle is uh, is in his 70s now and he's been on dialysis for, us, dialysis for a number of years. My grandma recently passed away and she had been, you know, literally had been a type 2 diabetic for 45 years. So, you know, my mom saw that stuff herself firsthand and said, I want to make the change with 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 my family. Um, but it was really, really hard. Uh, you know, there wasn't a health food retailer in our area. Uh, if there had been, we wouldn't have been able to, to pay the price premiums. And at the time, there wasn't nearly as much information out there about how to get healthy. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second, because now there's almost too much information and a lot of it's contradictory. So it's, it's just as hard today. But, you know, my mom's challenge was like, where do I start? And, you know, she basically start by cutting out sugar. And we were that weird house on the block that had no sugar and cereal, no soda, uh, et cetera. But, you know, fast forward, it actually made a massive difference in my, my life, my siblings' lives and the health that we enjoy today. So it, it really started with how do we bring that to the masses? And you were you were pretty far ahead of the curve, if I understand. Like there, maybe I don't think Instacart was around. I don't think a lot of the food delivery services were booming when you started Thrive Market. But based on your business model, I got to imagine that the way you you make money, the way you generate revenue, is by the memberships, like you said. And you guys have over like a million members, I think now. Like, do you think that the reason that that Thrive has been so successful? has been because of your just commitment and passion to using the adversity that the, the troubles you the, the, the healthy the health food sh- struggles you had as a kid to to be- to better other people and to better yourself or do you think it was just the timing of things I mean look there's always there's never one single factor but for us the single north star in our business is without any doubt the mission and you know my co-founders each had equally personal stories that brought them to this to this vision and in fact the original idea for the business was from my co-founder Gunnar who had a very different childhood than me growing up on a communal farm in Ojai, California where they were doing uh, wholesale buying organic products back in the 70s and 80s and his vision was how can we bring this to places like Minnesota so when we when we joined forces it was like all right, I sort of was in the middle American experience, you know, without those options, he had this like innovative model and, and how do we bring that to the masses? So yes, that like for, I think both of us 
for our other two co-founders and then really like extending along as we recruited the team like everybody came to this business because they cared about that mission and you know that mission has informed the way we built the business so you know we're not in the instant delivery model we're you know against instacart and all these others that are trying to get you know same day same hour same minute delivery like that's not our value proposition we're not trying to build the everything store right and and out Amazon, Amazon, right? We actually have said, in fact, we want to curate the catalog. That part of the value of Thrive Market for our members is that we're not going to have a thousand almond butter options, but we're going to have the five or 10 that are the healthiest, the best that have been vetted for our members. So the mission has informed everything we do, and it's resulted in a platform and an experience and a set of values that's very different than a lot of what you know business people would say are our competitors. We don't think about them as our competitors very honestly. And so, you know, being mission centric has allowed us to sort of tune out the noise, to focus on doing things right, and then to build a business model that is truly purpose built for achieving that mission. And you know, you mentioned the membership; that's what makes it all possible. You know, we're selling these products at a lower margin than you'd find anywhere else in order to support these low prices. In order to do that, we need to make our money somewhere to fund the business. And we've done that with membership. So, you know, front loading that membership fee and, and the membership fee is $60 a year. So it's, you know, $5 a month, affordable for most people. And that gets them access to all these uh, these products at significantly better prices. And then the membership also, as I mentioned before, powers the mission on an even deeper level where we can donate free memberships to low-income families. And um, you know, that's been a really powerful and important thing for me personally because you know, my family probably could have afforded a $5 a month membership. Most people you know, that are middle class can probably do that, but a lot of people that are you know, living paycheck to paycheck probably can't. And we wanna make sure that we're not just achieving access for the people that are um, you know, doing pretty, pretty good to begin with, but achieving access for even the people that are really struggling. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so true. And I think one of the things that's really admirable about what you've done with this is that you started this as like the main focus of the company where some of these other businesses that are doing like the home delivery, groceries and food like Walmart, Amazon, stuff like that. That was like an extension of their already established business. And you talked about like how you know, you got into it a little bit on how Thrive Market is different than these other companies when it comes to how people can choose to buy food from it. So I guess if you could go deeper into like how Thrive Market works, like what kind of pro- what specific types of products do you offer? How long does it take to ship? How you decipher which foods are included in the catalog and that and not and that sort of thing. Basically, the easiest way to think about it is if you walked into a grocery store. Everything that is contained in the center of the grocery store, all the dry, non-perishable items, we're going to have those those products, those categories, and we're going to have healthy, sustainable, more nutritious versions of those. So, you know, think about like the center aisles of the Whole Foods. We would basically have a curated and I would argue higher quality selection of those types of products. And then we also sell our own branded products. So if there's called 6,000 SKUs or items in the catalog, um, about 10% of those we actually make under the Thrive Market brand. Um, And we're starting to launch additional brands where we actually create brand new brands in new categories. Most of the products are going to be food, like just like you'd see in a grocery store. But we also have huge growth in categories like clean beauty uh, and non-toxic home and supplements, uh, particularly in whole food supplements. 
And the standards that we apply in each of these categories are basically market leading. So on food, for example, we're 100% non-GMO. We're the only platform, only commerce, only grocery store online or off in the U.S. that has made that commitment. And it requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of vetting. It's part of the reason we are so curated that we only allow products that meet these really select criteria. If you go over to like our home and our beauty categories, we have more than 500 never ingredients. So you're never going to find parabens. You're never going to find hormone blockers. There's all sorts of chemicals that you'd find in typical, especially conventional products that you're not going to find. And then across all of our categories, we're always looking for, you know, how do we not only like curate out the things that are bad, but actually up-level the, th- the products that we bring in uh, to be even better. So for example, you know, non-GMO is the baseline on food, but then we also go and focus on certified organic products and really, really going for those, like, those products that are going a step beyond. More recently, in the last couple of years, we've gone even further than that, focusing on regenerative supply chains where they're organic, but they're actually going beyond in order to you know, actively sequester carbon and have a positive impact on the climate. So we can do a lot of that also with our own brand. We've pushed even harder on regenerative in the Thrive Market brand and kind of used our own brand. Actually, it's interesting, like less as like the traditional private label model where you kind of you know copy the third party brands, offer them a little bit cheaper, take a little bit more margin. Instead, we've said, hey, we want our own brand to be an engine for innovation. We have all this amazing data on thrivemarket.com that you would never have in a grocery store. Uh, Not only about what people are buying, but actually what they're not buying or what they can't find, right? So if you search for an item and you can't find it on Thrive, we can see that. We log all that data and then we use data science to develop the roadmap for the Thrive Market brand in order to fill all those gaps. And so that's allowed us to really be on the bleeding edge of introducing new products to, to our members up-leveling on quality or introducing products that they, they haven't been able to find at a, at a high quality standard and, uh, you know, really create an experience that's, that's super different. So the entire model is, is, is very, very different than your typical grocery store. Um, obviously, there are things that we are doing that uh, are, are similar to other e-commerce platforms, right? So we deliver everything. Uh, we ship it in uh, FedEx, UPS, traditional carriers, and we do it fast. So like, you know, 90 some percent of our members get their orders in two days or less. Uh, more than 50 percent get their orders now in, in one day um, in terms of shipping time. So we are fast. But for us, that's table stakes, right? It's not like that's not the way we're going to differentiate. What's like more unique, for example, on the shipping is that we're also carbon neutral, right? So you might get fast shipping with some of these other these other e-commerce experiences, which you're not going to have as a company that's offsetting their entire carbon footprint and looking to minimize packaging, for example. And I'll just cite one one more area. Like if you look at Amazon, you know, the average order is going to have one or two items. And so you're getting like one or two items in a box with a bunch of packaging, a bunch of, of fill. At Thrive Market, the average order has 14 items and they come in a single box 97% of the time. So we're able to really reduce the amount of packaging waste. We use all recyclable and recycled paper materials. So like instead of using plastic and as the fill, we use something called Giami, which is actually a honeycomb shaped, like kind of crunchable uh, recycled paper. And so that's really how we're differentiating, right? It's, it's, the, it's the experience, it's the product assortment and the standards, and then it's the values on the back end in terms of how we operate the business that you know, really goes above and beyond for people and for the planet. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. 
Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Yeah, it seems that the reason, one of the main reasons you've been so successful is you've created like this community of people that are getting behind the mission of Thrive themselves, right? These are people that want to improve their footprint in the environment maybe, or they're people that want to make more healthy food choices, or there's somebody that honestly, maybe they're a busy mom or a busy parent and they just don't have the time to go out and shop for groceries. So they want to, they, they find that, okay, I, I know I can get the best of the best from this place. I can just order it. It'll be here within a few days, which I think is awesome. And there's a lot of, there is a lot of noise right now in the health and wellness space when it comes to eating, what's healthy, what's not, where you should shop organic, where you shouldn't, that sort of thing. And I know obviously with Thrive, you've probably gotten access to a lot of the best information perhaps in where people should be spending their money. So in, in your experience, and if you had to provide some insights, like where like where is it worth like buying organic? Where is it worth um, spending extra money for somebody that maybe is just trying to start out slow or maybe doesn't have the funds to go fully all in organic and that sort of thing? It's hard to answer because in the ideal world, you know, you, you go all organic and there's multiple reasons for that, right? Part of it is the impact on the environment. You know, the it's really hard to overstate what has transpired to topsoil in the U.S. and carbon and climate change impact from conventional uh, agriculture. Uh, I mean, it's really, really bad. It's also a factor for human health, right? Like what happens if you aren't farming organic? Um, and particularly what happens when you're genetically modifying crops to be uh, basically resistant to pesticides is you got a lot of spraying. So that's probably the worst aspect of it from a human health standpoint. Um, you end up with both food that is less nutritious, but you also end up with it literally having chemicals on it. So like a huge percentage of Americans, uh, if you do a urine test, will test positive at dangerous levels for a chemical called glyphosate. Uh, that's the primary ingredient in Roundup, which is a widely used pesticide. A lot of like almost all of the GMO uh, crops that are out there are resistant to Roundup, which means they can grow despite being like loaded with toxic levels of Roundup to kill all the pests. And that's pretty bad. So I would say the place to start if you had to choose is items that you're eating that are likely to have been sprayed. So if you're eating something that, you know, you uh, take off the, the peel, so like an orange, for example, you know, that's not going to have as much spray on the outside. If you're eating something where you eat the whole peel, like a tomato, and tomatoes, by the way, are very susceptible to pests, so they get sprayed a lot, that would be an item that you want to be really careful with. I think all the leafy greens, you want to be organic if you possibly can. 
Um, you know, this also brings up a, a, a topic which is important to clarify, which is that on Thrive Market, we don't carry fresh food right now. So part of our value proposition is get like, you know, the 50% of things that you buy that are non-perishable at a better price and just go all organic, all non-GMO, which you can easily do on Thrive Market. And then with the money that you save, spend a little more to get organic produce. So, you know, the short answer to your question is if you're going to go organic in one area, I would start with like your produce where you're going to be eating stuff that could have been sprayed. And then I would say, you know, if you go on Thrive Market, you can do all the, all the rest, all organic with no problem and no price premium. Yeah, that makes sense. That's something that I have heard in the past and that it's definitely best to start with the things that are being sprayed when they're being grown as far as like where to start with being organic. Cause I just think about like where I was before I started to shift to eating more health conscious that it was very overwhelming to think like, I'm going to go from eating a bunch of processed foods to now eating hundred percent organic. It just didn't seem very realistic. So I found that if people can just take small steps, it's going to inspire, yeah, and it's going to inspire them to be like, oh, like this wasn't as as hard, or maybe this doesn't didn't cost as much as I thought it would, and then it's going to hopefully motivate them to keep going down the path. Yeah, and by the way, just to to jump in for a second there, like I think you you brought up a really really important point, which is that you know there are multiple barriers to getting healthy, right? One is price which we break down, right? Another is geography, which we break down by shipping anywhere in the country. You know, 50% of our members are actually in the Midwest and the Southeast. Uh, but a third, and actually maybe the most important barrier is this like intimidation factor. Where do I start, right? I, I like, I'm not ready to go all or all, so I end up going nothing. And one of the things that we do on Thrive is create a user experience with uh, filters in particular so that people can shop their values without having to read the labels, without having to you know, figure it out for themselves. So if you want to try keto, you know, literally on Thrive Market, click a filter, it all filters down. You know, if you're interested in certified organic, click that filter and you can see all the organic products. You don't have to read the label and you'll see that the prices are still really, really strong. Um, so a big, 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 like maybe the biggest focus of our business right now is how do we make it less intimidating by just making the process easy? You know, it shouldn't be any harder to buy healthy products than it is to buy the conventional crap that most people are consuming. Right. And I think it makes it easier when that's essentially all you guys carry is like the best of the best healthy, you know, non-perishable foods, right? So people aren't having to sift through and be like, all right, like, wait, is this healthy? Is that healthy? Like you've kind of already done, you've already done the work for them in, in that case. And you're right. I think people, they get so intimidated by the process and they just, they just won't do it. They're like, ah, it's just too hard. It's just, it's not easy or I don't have the time. But I think when you simplify things, it makes it so much less intimidating for people. And I think, what separates you from the rest is the the personal experience. You talk about how you how you curate the catalog based on people's like wants and needs. But I know all of this, this Thrive Market, as successful as you are now, it did not come easy for you, right? I know you had a lot of challenges building this. So talk about some of the challenges you faced early on. And then I, as you answer that, like talk about how you remained optimistic despite those challenges to continue to move forward. Yeah, let me hit that. But I also want to touch on that personalization point because that is so important on Thrive and so important in general. 
You know, I think we used to think about healthy as like this monolithic phenomenon. And to your point, there's definitely standards where on Thrive, you can just trust everything meets that like basic standard. But there's also a really personal dimension to health, right? People are now finding out and there's now testing that you can do to find out where what your food sensitivities are. are you know, what are, what's the macronutrient composition that is ideal for you, which might be very different than what it is for me. And that's leading people in this process of self-discovery, which gives them a lot of information, but then often can be very hard to act on. So it's like, all right, I just found out I'm gluten intolerant and my son has a nut allergy and my spouse is, you know, is lactose intolerant. Like, where do I start? And on Thrive Market, you literally go in, you use three filters and you can see everything that works for your whole family. And then we've got AI running in the background that actually adaptively learns to what you need so that, you know, the Thrive Market, there's like the Thrive Market store, but then there's, we call it my aisle, which is your experience of Thrive Market that is continuously learning and personalizing to you. And that is just so important because it breaks down another one of those barriers of, you know, how do I actually get to get the things that are right for me? All right. Shifting over to your, to your uh, question, though, on adversity and the Thrive Market story. You know, honestly, my entrepreneurial journey is was the is the number one reason why, as I said at the beginning of the program, I believe so strongly that there is an advantage to adversity. Um, it never feels like that when you're going through the adversity, but I have almost, without exception, seen that to be the case when you look in the in the rearview mirror. And Thrive is is just like the most um, shining example of that in my life. Um, so I'm really excited to share that with others. We had this I, this idea. I met Gunnar. He initially pitched me on um, his idea was to build Groupon for for healthy food, and we ended up iterating on the model, landed on what became Thrive Market. And you know, both of us had actually been successful entrepreneurs in the past. We both started and sold businesses, and we thought this is great. Like we have some some of our own cash. We'll put that into the business first, um, and then we'll go out and fundraise. Well, you know, the first two things that happened in, in the first call it six months of the business were we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building a website with consulting group and found out basically two weeks before we were supposed to go live that it was all vaporware. So, you know, we've been like, not, I don't want to say we were defrauded, but certainly sold a bill of goods that um, that didn't come through. And it was one of the most humbling and like simultaneously terrifying experiences of like, holy shit, we just spent the better part of a year getting ready to launch this platform and what we thought we had doesn't exist. It was humbling in the sense that like, we're supposed to be these seasoned entrepreneurs. How did we make such an amateurish mistake? So, you know, it's one thing to be like hit, you know, blindsided by something that's out of your control. It's another where like the only person you can look to to blame is yourself. And that was so, so, so difficult. Interestingly, what that led to was us like, you know, kind of hat in hand saying, uh, we got to go find someone who's a tremendous technical leader who can be a co-founder in this business. And it's going to come in and not be on the other side of the table, but be alongside us and build this business right and build a tech platform right. And it was this realization that tech can't be an afterthought. It can't be something we outsource. We actually have to build it in-house and it has to be like, this is going to be a tech company. And, you know, today we're, we're a retailer, we're a CPG brand, and we're a tech company. That was actually what set in motion that third leg of the stool, becoming a tech company. And it set in motion going out and finding our third co-founder, Sasha Siddhartha, who is the most brilliant technologist I've ever interacted with. Um, I don't think we would have paid up to bring someone of that caliber in had we not been so, you know, 
severely humbled by that experience. And it's the best hire without any question I've ever made in any business that I've been involved in. You know, Sasha came in three months later, we had a website, he actually built out our, our warehouse. Um, and he's our CTO to this day. And you know, my my day to day business partner. So it's, uh, in retrospect, just like sort of mind boggling to think this like terrible mistake that was so humbling that shined a light on our sort of hubris and uh, and incompetence ultimately was what led to bringing in this amazing partner uh, and, and building out the platform right. The second thing that happened, which was kind of happening in parallel is, you know, we got through this like initial build and then we said, all right, we're gonna go fundraise. Well, we've got this like great background of two entrepreneurs that have been really successful. You know, Sasha at that point had, started, had come in as well, and he'd, he'd recently sold a business. We thought this is going to be no problem. Three months later, we'd been rejected by 50 plus venture capitalists. So we went to New York. We went to San Francisco. We talked to every VC in L.A. Every single one of them said no. And it was, again, this like t- sort of just gut punch of of humility and even like a little bit of humiliation of like, you know, what's wrong with us? We got this incredible background. Why are people saying no? Uh, Not to interrupt, but at that time was them declining you? Was it because they didn't believe in the mission? Were they just not sold on the, on the healthy food movement? Like what was it? So I think there is, it's a, it's a good question. And I believe me, I spent a lot of hours thinking about that at the time. And as always, there's no single answer, but I think a big part of it was, you know, we were pitching people in major urban centers who themselves were quite wealthy, who were mostly men, not doing their own shopping. And if you live near a Whole Foods, you can afford it. And grocery shopping is not a big part of your life. Um, and you sort of take health for granted. You know, this doesn't seem like that big of an idea. If you are middle class in middle America, struggling to get healthy with family experiences like, you know, I had and millions of others have had, you're like, holy cow, this is this is something that could be huge if it works. So I think for a lot of those VCs, we didn't even get over the barrier of proving to them that this was an important and big idea uh, because they didn't see the problem. I think the second thing, though, was for those that did see the problem, you know, it's a hard business to build and it's and it's a hard problem to solve. And so I think there was also uh, from a lot of VCs just skepticism, like neither of us had had uh, experience in e-commerce before. Neither of us had experience with heavy operating businesses holding lots of inventory and the moving parts on this business. You know, frankly, they were more complicated than we understood at the time. So I think there were some VCs who probably rightly rejected us because they saw some of the the naivete that we had in terms of how we were thinking about the business. But the reason I mentioned those rejections is is they also ended up leading to what I was was like one of the most important and sort of formative things in the early stages of the business, which is that we just by necessity ended up raising our early funds from influencers. So we had already been talking to all of these thought leaders uh, as like people like yourselves, like podcast hosts, bloggers, you know, New York Times bestselling authors who were in this space, who were living the lifestyle, who had audiences of people that were like the, you know, people that we were going to try to reach, who were struggling and working to try to get healthier and who understood at a very personal, like deep level what this was about. And from a mission standpoint, aligned with our mission. You know, they weren't just investing because they wanted to get a return. They were investing because they believed that this should exist in the world. And the power that that unlocked in terms of both the funding that we needed, right, the oxygen that it gave the business, but more importantly, this like 
built-in group of evangelists who had these like megaphones to our exact target audience. It could speak totally authentically about what we were doing. I mean, that was the way that we acquired all of our members for the first six months. It was word of mouth. And then it was basically word of mouth on steroids through all these influencers. And we didn't spend a dime on paid media back in those early days. I mean, we, frankly, we didn't have the time to spend on it. And so it became the best thing that ever happened to us. And those people became friends. They became allies. They became not only investors, but truly the drivers of the growth in the business. And you fast forward about nine months after we launched, and we ended up raising a, a Series A that was at 25 times the valuation that we had ra raised at less than a year before. And with many of the same VCs that had rejected us coming back to the table and saying, you know, actually, we changed our mind. So it was uh, definitely an amazing redemption story and, you know, set in motion the business that, that we have today. That's really inspiring. And, and I got to imagine that um, it feels good to know that you just stuck true, you stuck true to what you believed in, what you wanted to do, your integrity and the mission of the company to continue to see things through and use those obstacles to your advantage and just continue to let like one failure and rejection to lead to the next. Cause that's an important point. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is a lot of people experience that, whether it's they're dating people that they just can't seem to find the right person or whether they're trying to start a business like you did and they can't seem to get the right people invested in it or the right people to be a part of it. Or somebody who's like just trying to, to find like a fitness program that works. So I'm going to go on and on with these different examples of, of just the importance of using failures using rejections as an opportunity to get realigned with your vision and to build the resilience muscle to continue to to stay true to who you are and your integrity and just knowing that it's just part of the process it's part of the process and i think there's like there's two levels on which it's really powerful one is those rejections to your point clarify like the the constants the things that you know the things that you care about most because it's like all right, if my conviction on this is unwavered, even after being punched in the gut over and over and over again, I know this is real. So it tells you, it's like a, a, a stress test on your own values and your own mission. And when you, what, you, what comes out is more clarified and, and, and stronger. But it also is, is information that allows you to adapt and change in ways, right? So like when we got rejected by the VCs, that forced us to adapt. And like we learned, all right, this isn't the right investor. Who is? And then we went on and found it. Right? When we've screwed up the initial tech build, it's like, all right, this isn't the way to do it. Then we went out and, and did it a better way. So I think one of the, like clarifying your vision is really important, but it's also really important to be able to be sort of sober and grounded and reality-based. I'm like, all right, what did this failure, what can I learn from this failure and what should I change? Because if you, you know, a lot of people sort of like want to stick their head in the sand to failure and, and pretend like it's not me, it's something on the outside, but there's always something you can change. And there's always multiple ways to get to the, the end that you want. So if the way that you tried wasn't the, the right way, all right, what's the next way? What does this failure tell me? What information does it provide to make me more successful on getting to my ultimate goal? And I think that the, like one of the number one things for entrepreneurs to be successful, and I found in my own experience, is it's like it's a combination of tenacity, but also like extreme flexibility. Like the only thing that matters is, is getting to the to the end and I'll figure out a, a way to get there. And I know there's multiple ways to make it happen. And if one doesn't work, like one door gets shut, I go in the other door. Right. And I can imagine these last few years, 
have been a blessing and have also been a curse in, in some ways to to thrive. And in that, in that, so many people switched to the food delivery service model for their household and they were ordering so many goods to their homes. But there was also, it also in, increased a lot of competition. Now people are able to, to, sure they're shopping from things like Instacart and Amazon. And while I know they're not your direct competitors, I'm sure they're like, well, hey, I can just get all this organic stuff here. So what's the point of having this, this Thrive Market membership? And then obviously like different supply chain issues and everything that's gone on recently. So like, have there, have you seen, or am I just completely wrong? Have you seen some challenges in the last few years when it comes to those sort of things? And, and what are some ways that you've had to pivot during these times to make sure that you uh, continue to be successful as a company? I mean, the last two years have been the most challenging that we've ever had in the business and simultaneously an incredible opportunity and moment for our mission you know, where to your point during the lockdowns, you know, we went from a world where, you know, some people were buying online to all of a sudden, you know, people couldn't leave their house uh, and grocery stores were closed and everybody was, was, was there. You know, similarly, you went from some people thinking about their health to like everyone all of a sudden really becoming aware of how, you know, how, how important it was to stay healthy. So, you know, for us, I'd say the first thing is, a lot of businesses during that time that were in our position, it was like, all right, let's open the, the floodgates, let it come in and like, just go crazy. Like this is our opportunity to make hay. For us, the mission again was our saving grace in that it kept us really, really focused. And you know, the membership is was also a filter where we didn't get those people that were just coming in one and done to buy, you know, stock up on toilet paper or buy a bunch of hand sanitizers. If you are paying $60 for an annual membership, it's because you actually care about being, being healthy and you want that for a full year. And we were okay with that. We didn't want to bring in just the people that were that wanted to get, you know, something delivered to their house, didn't care about quality, weren't interested in health. So we kept our marketing, we kept our site positioning, we kept everything focused on like this is who we are. This is what's special about Thrive Market. Like this is where our flag is in the ground. And as a result, coming out the other side of it, you know, we've had higher retention on the COVID cohorts than we had on the pre-COVID cohorts. There are not a lot of businesses in our position that can say that. We've continued to have strong engagement from those COVID cohorts. Um, and it's because they weren't just coming in for COVID. They were actually the right people who wanted to, wanted to get healthy and we were solving that bigger problem for them. So that was one really important thing was like sticking to our North Star. The other was, you know, in this moment of just crazy uncertainty and fear, it was like really going down to our values and saying, we're going to focus on health and safety before we even think about what's good for the, the business, you know, or the metrics or, or the growth. So, you know, we are really proactive on safety in our fulfillment centers. Uh, Two thirds of our employees work in those fulfillment centers. And as a result of that, not only one, did we actually keep people safe? So we minimized the COVID outbreaks. You know, we had uh, no serious cases of, of COVID during the, those early waves, all of which was just the most important thing by far. But it also created for our fulfillment center workers a sense that, hey, Thrive Market cares about me. And they've talked about this and done a lot of things in the past, but now when it really, really counts, they're coming up big for me. And it created a tremendous amount of loyalty. So, you know, at a time when a lot of these frontline workers who really were the heroes of the pandemic, you know, were feeling kind of used and abused by a lot of companies, we were there retaining those employees. We were attracting new employees through word of mouth. Um, and that's what allowed us to scale. So that was a huge part of both the business success and then a really important just like 
cornerstone of staying true to our values um, through the through the pandemic. To your point, there was also a lot of challenges that were just totally out of our control in terms of supply chain and the, the disruptions there. And you know, honestly, there I think our mission came into play as well in that you know having employees who really care about what they're doing, who see what we're doing as part of a bigger mission, um, and who felt that this was a moment for that mission to really like you know, help families at a time when there wasn't a lot of access, it steeled our resolve uh, to uh, to keep things intact. And fortunately, we had relationships with a lot of our vendors who are also aligned with our mission and work with us directly. Uh, so we were able to, um, to be really responsive. So yeah, it's been really challenging, but it's also been incredibly heartening to see the way the kind of heroics from our employees, from our brand partners, and ultimately now seeing coming as we come out the other end, the strength of the business post pandemic. That's incredible. And again, it just hits home on the adversity advantage mindset and that you got to just dig deep and lean into who you truly are during, during hard times and do what you know you need to do to, to optimize your health, to optimize your well being, and continue to, to stay focused on the mission and things will end up working out the way they're meant to. And it just seems that that all played out for you in that way. And it's, it's amazing to see that things have gotten so much better after the pandemic, it seems for you guys with, I mean, having over a million members is, is super inspiring and, and just everything that you're doing to help make the world a better place. I guess one of the last things I want to talk to you about is I know it's important to be mission driven and to have a passion for what you're doing. But in my personal opinion, I think there's this lie that's being told that everybody can just go and start a passion project and just do it. And I think what happens is people believe that and they go and they just quit their nine to five job that's supporting their family. They go think, oh, I just read on the internet, I'm going to go start a passion project. And it doesn't end up making money. And they just end up getting to a point where it's like they're not able to support themselves, they're not able to support their family. And it just becomes like a time consuming hobby. So let's just say somebody had like a few minutes with you, they ran into you at a Starbucks, they ran into you, to you at, at a park somewhere. And they said, Listen, Nick, like, I, you've, you've done it right, you've seen to turn your, your passion into income, you're successful. Like, what kind of advice would you give them if they wanted to start a passion project of their own? You're pulling on a thread that's really important and not, not quite as inspiring, which is that, you know, yes, perseverance matters a lot. Yes. Having that like adversity advantage mindset matters a lot, but ultimately you have to be working on the right thing. And, you know, if you have your passion has to be differentiated and you have to be, you know, you have to be right about the demand for that. And so if your passion is what everyone else's passion is, and you're going to start a podcast, you just like cite a, uh, a relevant example here, like that there's already in a space that there's already a gazillion podcasts, like how do you make it different and do, and are people going to care? So, you know, the size of the opportunity matters and the differentiation of what you're doing matters. So like, if you take it back on Thrive Market, you know, if you were trying to start Thrive Market today, to your point, like there's a lot of other kind of people that aren't necessarily competing, but they're doing some part of it. It would be a lot harder to get that business started today. Like the reason that we were able to be so successful is we saw something early. It's a huge opportunity, right? Trillion dollar market in CPG, tens of millions of American households that buy across these categories. And this like huge growth curve on conscious consumption and health and wellness. So, you know, we were able to go after a big market 
we were early enough to be really differentiated. And then we built a head start where we now have planted our flag as the de facto platform for, for making healthy and sustainable living easy. I think people have to, and this is like much easier said than done, but they basically have to look at their passion and ask themselves, like, does it fit that criteria? Like, is it a big enough opportunity? Are enough people really going to care? Is what they're trying to do different enough from what's currently out there to really create value for those people? And then third, how passionate am I about it? Because if you're passionate about it today, but it's not going to be a sustained passion, then, you know, that perseverance and that uh, kind of willingness to push through also will start to fade. So I think it's 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 all three. And I wish it were just like if you believe in enough in it and you care about it, it's going to work. But it's got to be that and you got to be differentiated and the opportunity has to be big enough to, to actually, you know, to actually count. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I would say the the fourth thing, I think, at least if I were to add anything, would be just to look at your situation. Like if you're somebody who's, who's single, you're young, you don't have anybody else who is relying on you to eat and, and sleep, and that sort of thing, then, you know, you can tolerate more risk in going and, and staying longer at this passion project and trying to make it work versus somebody if you're, you know, you're married and you have three kids and you just, you just want to quit your job that's supplying the whole family with, with food and house and shelter and that sort of thing. Like, you know, your, your risk can't be as high as the person who's single. So I think that's something to consider as well. And yeah, that's a super, it's a super, super good point. And one thing I would, I would say to that is the size of the opportunity and how differentiated your approach are going to be. Those are very hard things to objectively like ascertain kind of sitting from the armchair. And so the best way you can figure those things out is by testing. And to just to go to your point, you can test in a way that doesn't require you to like quit your job, cut off your lifelines, you know, burn the boats and go all in with two months of personal runway, you know, for your family and kids. No one would advise you to do that. But there are little tests you can run that will that you know might be able to, you know, you moonlight. You know, you you do some things early on where you don't spend a lot of money. You spend some time and you get some of that iteration out of the way and build conviction that, in fact, this is a big opportunity before you, you know, go go all in. Well, cool. Thank you for for adding those insights. And Nick, this has been amazing. I feel like people who are listening to this, if they haven't already, they're going to want to check out Thrive Market. They're going to want they're going to want to learn more about how they can get started, maybe even purchase a membership. So if people want to do that, if they want to check it out, like where's the best place for them to do so? Just go to thrivemarket.com. Again, you can buy an annual or even a monthly membership. The annual membership is risk-free. So if you don't like it in 30 for the first 30 days, you can get your full membership refunded. Uh, the typical member actually makes back their membership fee in just two purchases. So people are saving up to you know $30 plus per order. Um, so you know you should find pretty quickly that the membership's a no-brainer. And you know, my advice is get on there and try it out. It's at thrivemarket.com, super easy to get enrolled and place that first order. There you have it, thrivemarket.com. I will make sure to include that in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Nick said about why he helped to start Thrive Market. Maybe it was something that he said that resonated with you about the perseverance he had to endure um, with some of the hardships he um, came across early on. Maybe it was something he said about their mission and why it's different from the rest. Whatever it was, make sure to tag Thrive Market, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.